Leadership Show with Andy Peck. It's great to welcome you to the show that brings you thoughtful conversations with Christians in leadership and leadership themes. The decline in the numbers of people attending church in the West is alarming to many, and there have been various views as to what the problem is and what can be done about it. Well, my guest today is looking at the whole issue rather differently. His name is Brian McLaren, and he is the author of a new book, Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed, and the Disillusioned. The book outlines both reasons why you might leave Christianity and reasons why you might stay put, and then looks at how we might proceed in our engagement with the faith. For several decades, Brian has been writing books exploring the Christian faith. I counted some 21 on his website. He was my guest back in 2010 when he was talking about a new kind of Christian. And is a thinker that many have found a lifesaver as he's given voice to their questions about the Christian faith as it has been traditionally understood. I think it's also true to say that those who don't share those kind of concerns find some of his ideas alarming, something he explores within this book. So I'm delighted he's uh, joined me to speak about some of these issues. So Brian, welcome to The Leadership Show. Thanks so much. Uh, good to be back with you after 12 years. My word, yes, indeed. I was uh, in our offices in London in Premier, I remember uh, chatting with you. So, I mean, as a background to this book, and I guess for people who don't know you, Perhaps you could chart your kind of journey sure. spiritually from a point where maybe, maybe when you were a pastor in a, in a church in Maryland. So I grew up uh, in a very conservative Christian setting. Many people will be familiar with the Plymouth Brethren or Christian Brethren. And um, I then became involved in the Jesus movement and charismatic movement. And um, uh, so I had to sort of process a whole lot of things going on back in the uh, late 60s, early 1970s, ended up becoming uh, a pastor in uh, uh, around 1979-1980 of a new church that was forming. And, um, and we were a church that was trying to integrate uh, evangelical, charismatic, and social justice orientations. Uh, I pastored there for 24 years. Um, and during that time, just began to sense that there were deep changes happening and I started writing about that. And that's for the last 16 years or so. That's what I've been doing is um, writing and speaking and engaging mostly with uh, Christian leaders across the spectrum from Catholic, Protestant, conservative, uh, liberal. And uh, so it's been a fascinating journey. Well, thank you. And uh, I grew up in the Brethren as well. So, hey, we're, <laughs> we have that in, That's great. That in common. Practically cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And albeit in the, uh, in the UK on the Isle of Wight. So, um, so what do you hope the book will do, Brian? Well, as you said, large numbers of people are leaving Christian faith uh, uh, or, and, and large numbers are thinking about it. And I think it's safe to predict that more and more people uh, will be in that situation uh, going forward. And uh, I, I knew that if I were to write a book that said, here's why you should stay Christian, um, whether you want to or not, <laughs> um, that would just be another reason for people to want to leave, because they would feel that the Christian faith is once again, constricting their options and promising them guilt or condemnation if they don't conform. Um, and also, I'm aware that there are many people who actually need to leave Christian faith. I don't know, or at least their current understanding of it. 
I would imagine a lot of people haven't thought about this, but there are tens of thousands and very likely hundreds of thousands of people who grew up Roman Catholic who are victims of sexual abuse of, uh, by leaders in, in the Catholic Church. And then they've now learned that those people who abuse them have been protected by church authorities. And I, I, I think we're not near, I don't think we've come close to reaching the peak of discovery of the number of people who are victims of this. And the, the psychological and spiritual pain that they've experienced is, I, I, don't think, I don't think we can imagine it if we haven't experienced it. Now, Protestants might think that lets them off the hook, but the truth is, there is a whole wave of people who are coming forward, including at many of our most respected megachurches, whether they're charismatic or not, uh, who also have stories of sexual and psychological abuse. And so a lot of people need to leave, at least temporarily, because they need to get some distance from uh, systems that have abused them. And so what I wanted to do in this book is not is to try to help people process their decision about whether they stay or, or leave. And um, you need to define Christian, I guess, Brian, and you, you do that in the book, so I appreciate it. it's harder to do in a few sentences, yeah. but um, it's, it's both a, a term to describe a, a faith as opposed to any other faith, and it's also yes. obviously deeply rooted in the follower of Jesus. So when you say stay Christian or leave Christianity, what are you saying? Yes. Well, part of what I think I'm trying to do in the book is, is be honest about the fact that that's a complicated question. Um, if someone says, oh, a Christian is someone who follows Jesus. Well, the fact is, I don't know of any Christian organization that's just happy if that's all you say. <laughs> um, and, and, the, and the varieties of provisos that go along with that are very, very far reaching. I actually don't think, Andy, that I've ever met a person who says, I, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, and I, or I used to love Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus, and I don't like Jesus anymore. So um, I, I think almost always the struggles that people have are with affiliating with a doctrinal system or an authority system, a kind of hierarchy or way of human relating where you have to submit to certain leaders or a political affiliation, uh, maybe less of an issue on your side of the Atlantic, but increasingly a significant issue uh, on this side of the pond, the number of people who are using the word Christo-fascist to describe evangelical Christianity that has now linked itself with a kind of authoritarian politics uh, and, and, and refusal to allow uh, uh, religious liberty to people of different faiths. I, I mean, there are a whole lot of people who would say I, it, to speak about being Christian as simply following Jesus is a luxury that they don't have because of all of the expressions of the Christian faith. So I, I suppose what I'm really trying to do in the book is to say to people, um, don't let that word be a Trojan horse that a whole lot of unhelpful things sneak in uh, uh, under its camouflage. And so, Brian, you, you look at the 10 reasons why someone might choose to stop being Christian. 
and I'm, I mean, some of it's pretty brutal, has to be said, yes. in terms of how yes. you describe the history of the faith and some of the things that were done in the name of Jesus. Uh, so manifestly, yes. these are these are strong reasons to to, yes. to not have anything to do with it. Um, but I just wonder if there are any of those that you find are particularly high up in the list of things that people talk to you about who are, yes. you know, I appreciate you have lots of conversations with people who are on the edge and are either looking yes. for you for support or for encouragement to leave. Yes, I would say of the 10 reasons I give, really different people obviously would see different ones as being most significant. Some would just say, yes, it's all of those put together in a package. I've had a lot of people tell me since the, uh, as the book is coming out that, uh, that they felt I, I articulated their, their struggles. Um, but uh, one of the chapters I talk about constricted intellectualism. Um, and this is the idea that we use our intellect. It, it's not just anti-intellectualism that we say don't think. It's that we say think very hard about preserving the way that we already think. And uh, I, uh, my sense is that that reason is, it reinforces all of the other reasons. Uh, and the, the word for this, I, I, in one of the chapters, I try to summarize the current research on bias. Uh, and there's something called confirmation bias, which is very, very well studied by psychologists and sociologists. And, and confirmation bias is the idea that what we think is most comfortable to us, what we currently think. And so when new information comes, we bat it away subconsciously before we even consciously consider it, because it would just be so inconvenient for some new information to turn out to be right. And, uh, and then when we are, belong to a community that requires us to uh, maintain that confirmation bias, it can become very, very powerful. So if I were to say one of those 10 that I think is maybe has the most leverage, that would be it. And of course, if you're a leader of that organization and your funding depends on you staying with that course of action, that's a very tough uh, tough mental battle to get through if you've decided that actually you're not too sure you want to explore things a bit you know for many oh leaders goodness. listening this is a horrible place to be isn't it it is a in fact this is an agonizing time to be a christian leader and andy because of your focus on leadership you understand this so well i'll just give you a, a quick example again that uh folks on uh, you know in the uk probably look across, uh, look west across the Atlantic and can't figure what's going on uh, on my side, uh, see how it makes sense. But I, I can tell you, so many pastors have told me that they care about climate change, that they believe it's real, that they find huge biblical resources to say we have to care for this beautiful creation. But they can't, as soon as they say a word about it, their major donors in the congregation send them emails or come and grab them by the elbow during the, uh, after the service and say, I don't appreciate you getting political. And, and so now it's political to talk about science and to talk about climate change. Um, we saw the same thing during the pandemic. There were a lot of people who you would think, what does, uh, you know, wearing a mask have to do and, and wanting to not transmit a disease to your neighbor? Uh, how does that become? A, a Christian heresy, but there were uh, so many churches where their leaders, 
their leaders were telling them this, or where the leaders wanted to tell people to be healthy, but their members would get uh, get angry. So this this tension about what we're allowed to speak, uh, I think, is just coming to the surface in a way that it's forcing leaders to reach deeper into their reserves of courage and compassion and wisdom to know how to deal with these uh, tough situations. Brian, many of the, the listeners to this show are likely to be coming to your book from the angle that they would agree with many of your critiques, but they would say, well, that's not true Christianity anyway. Um, and they would be uh, perhaps from the more traditional, you know, and a bit alarmed by some of the things perhaps you you say within the book. Um, what would you say to to those folk who, who might, might pick your book up and say, crumbs, I hadn't realized that, that this was as alarming as it is. And they're quite frightened by some of the, the approaches that you take. Yes. Well, um, I, I suppose part, part of what I'd say is if I, I understand that it is very alarming. Um, and, um, but, but maybe I would then say, but listen, we're not just talking about a theoretical problem that's distant from you there's a very high chance that your children, and if not your children, your grandchildren, are going to be deeply troubled by the things I'm bringing up. And if you think that telling them they shouldn't be troubled by these things is going to solve the problem, uh, you'll find out that telling people they shouldn't be troubled by things that trouble them is only another reason to be driven away from the faith. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm so sorry to have to tell people this, but they're going to have to deal with these issues. Um, and, uh, and the way that they deal with them could actually make things worse or make things better. And I hope we'll find a way um, to make things better. Uh, Brian, in the book, you, you talk about, and you've mentioned it in your conversation already, that you're not wanting to particularly make judgments about whether people stay or leave. That said, of course, you're writing a book, and so you are trying to persuade people at one level. Obviously, there's a, a big disjunct between your you know, kind of what you might hope the book does and having to grapple with how people are coming yes. to the book, perhaps with their pre presuppositions. And that's yes. quite a, a tricky. I mean, you've been doing it all your writing life. You've been yeah, yes. gently troubling, you know, troubling people, but are, are also soothing them. I've you know, when people heard I was due to chat with you, some people have said, yeah, that's been, he's been such a help in that thinking. And yet there's other people who are really troubled by your thinking. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, uh, you know, there, I, I was a, a college English teacher. I taught literature and um, uh, in, in literary theory, there are some writers who write to comfort people within their current frame of thinking. And there are other people who see a problem with that current way of thinking. And so in a certain sense, uh, they, uh, they're trying to help people, but, they're, but it doesn't feel like help to the reader. Right. I actually think Jesus was in that situation. Mm. <laughs> um, I think Paul was in that situation. I think Martin Luther was in that situation. Um, and, and so I think this is just a reality. We often say, that the role of the prophet in scripture was to uh, to uh, comfort the troubled and to trouble the comfortable. <laughs> and uh, and so I think there's a part of this that's that's unavoidable. But I feel 
that I, and I'm not a fighter and I, I, you know, my parents raised me to be polite. I don't like to make people uncomfortable, but I also think we're dealing with issues of, uh, of survival. And I think we're dealing with the reality that we have, we as Christians have already caused huge amounts of harm that we're unaware of. And I, I just feel a moral obligation to try to help us stop uh, causing harm and to increase the amount of healing that we can bring. And at the heart, I guess, of your uh, mental approach to all this is really a, a slightly different view of scripture, perhaps to the one that we grew up with in the brethren. And certainly you, you yes. probably maintained when you were a pastor. Again, it's a big question, but are you able to just give us a, a little hint of the kind of yes. approaches that you had to start to take to free you perhaps from the shackles as you saw as you saw them? So let me maybe just very briefly say that uh, as someone in the U.S., as a white person in the U.S., I, it, it, I was shielded from the history of slavery. It was minimized. It was sanctified. It was even justified by, based on the Bible, by people, by Christian leaders, and you know, here as I grew up. But when I became more and more aware of what slavery was and the historical roots of it and the theological defense of it, here's what disturbed me: in my country, there has never been a reckoning with the way that the Bible was used to defend slavery. And you would think that if we don't want to repeat that racism, and if we really want to root it out, we would have a moral obligation to say, how was the Bible used to defend slavery? We should never, ever, ever use the Bible that way again. Now, folks in the UK may, may say, well, we didn't have that. But actually, the, the, the uh, uh, British uh, uh, economy was very deeply depended on American slavery. And um, so there is a certain connection there. But just the other day, I had never known this, that there was a period of several hundred years where Christians in the UK banished all Jews. I'd never known this until recently. So you think, how could Christians use the Bible and their tradition to banish neighbors of, of another faith? to kick them out and uh, appropriate their wealth. Uh, and then you add the whole history of colonialism. I think when we start to pay attention to these things, we have this moral obligation to say, our people use the Bible to justify unjustifiable things. At the very base level, we should scrutinize that way of using the Bible and find a way to protect ourselves and to protect other people from the Bible being used in similar ways going forward. So, so that's kind of your root, is that you say, well, if the scriptures are used in this way to do this, then actually maybe we need to reread re how, we've, how we've grasped those kind of things. Yeah. Exactly right. And maybe I would say, and the problem isn't just the Bible, the problem is how we use the Bible. Right. And if we don't become more aware of how we use it and our moral obligation to not use it in ways that bring harm to others. And, you know, the truth is many of us have experienced harm ourselves. Uh, and, and the Bible has been used as a weapon uh, that has brought deep harm. And um, 
And so that to me is this moral obligation. And many people, and I suppose this is maybe a way I could say it, that people could maybe hear me. Many people will stay away from Christian faith far away until they sense that we have done that kind of fearless and searching moral inventory of our own tradition. Brian, our, t- our time's almost gone, but um, I just want to ask you uh, for your advice for church leaders, perhaps, who are aware that they're in a more orthodox, maybe conventional, conservative-type church in terms of doctrine, but they know that people are asking the kind of questions that you're exploring in yes. this book. Um, and they, they know they want to provide a space. Any, any thoughts, any kind of approaches yes. that you think have, you've found helpful um, your side of the pond? Well... I'm so empathetic to leaders in that situation. So the first thing I would say is find at least one or two of your peers who it's safe to talk to about this struggle. Uh, Because I don't think any leader can venture into these challenges alone. Um, And that would, and and in many ways, podcasts and, and, and books and, and, uh, gatherings are, are, are ways that people find a safe place, that where leaders find a safe place to process what's going on and to gain support for finding ways forward. Um, if I were to offer one piece of uh, encouragement, that would be it. Well, thank you, Brian, so much for, for sharing uh, your, something of your heart. It's been a very brief conversation, but it's given people an insight into the book, and I trust that it'll be a help to many. So thank you. Thank you. That was my conversation with Brian McLaren and his book, Do I Stay Christian? A Guide for the Doubters, the Disappointed, and the Disillusioned. It's 300 pages plus and may well be a challenging read as he reflects on the many ways that Christians have lived and acted down through history that have been so against the ways of Jesus. And even if, like me, you don't share his assumptions and conclusions, you will find much to challenge you. There's no doubt that people have not returned to local churches post-COVID for a whole host of reasons. Health fears, finding an online alternative, getting off the treadmill of a constant busyness on Sunday. But you can be sure that many have not returned because the COVID break gave them an opportunity to ask whether they still believe the fate of the church that they were attending. And they found it best to no longer go. They've decided that they're not going to stay Christian in their understanding. And so at the end of my conversation with Brian, we spoke of the importance of finding safe places to have conversations about things that trouble us. That may be with other leaders of local churches, maybe in a minister's fraternal or with people that you know uh, from across the country. It may be that you need to put together a group within the church itself where no question or comment is out of bounds. My colleague at Premier, Justin Briley, of course, has a massive back catalogue of The Unbelievable Show, where these kinds of issues are discussed at length, often between Christians and non-believers, but also Christians together who take a different view on a particular topic. So I would encourage you to go to the Premier Unbelievable website and look at the options there. It is vital that we have safe places to talk in love with one another. And you will know that there are many areas where Christians disagree and where perhaps 
They know what they ought to believe, but they don't actually do so. It's my joy to host this weekly uh, show. And as always, there are archive versions of the Leadership Show by going to Premier's website. You can access them or the podcast provider where you're listening to this from. I know there's over 100 nations represented amongst those who download the show uh, on a regular basis. So if that's uh, you as you're listening to this, then uh, great that you're able to do so. I'm always delighted to hear from listeners and I've often included guests or topics because listeners like you have emailed me ideas. So andy.peck at premier.org.uk is where you'll find me should you want to get in touch. In view of this topic, I thought it might be useful to remember a few words of scripture as we close. And I go to the small letter of Jude uh, towards the end of the New Testament where Jude writes in verse 3, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Uh, and then he discusses some pretty grim stuff of how people have drifted away from the faith. And in verse 20, he says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And then there's this wonderful doxology at the end. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And so may you know the goodness of God who is able to keep you from falling in this week ahead. And may you be confident of his presence with you as you seek to influence others for God's purposes as he shows you how. This is Andy Peck, thanking you for your company. Look forward to it again soon. The Leadership Show with Andy Peck. To get in touch, email andy.peck at premier.org.uk.